Welcome to the September 14th, 2023 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll discuss the findings from the final analysis of the CLL2 GIVE trial. Learn how NOTCH2 mutants promote resistance to chemotherapy in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and discuss the role of DBY-HLA class II complexes in chronic graft-versus-host disease. We first examined data in the blood article entitled Final Analysis of the CLL2-GIVE Trial, Obinutuzumab, Ibrutinib, and Venetoclax, in untreated CLL with deletion 17p TP53 mutation by Henriette Huber from the Universitätsklinikum Ulm, Ulm, Germany, and colleagues. Targeted therapies have transformed the outcomes of patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia. However, high-risk CLL patients, especially those harboring a TP53 deletion or mutation, continue to have poor outcomes. A triplet combination consisting of a B-cell receptor signaling inhibitor BCL2 inhibitor, and CD20-targeting monoclonal antibody has recently emerged as a potential novel therapeutic approach in CLL. The main idea is that targeting multiple CLL dependencies may limit the selection of therapy-resistant subclones and result in deeper remissions. In a previous Phase two study, a triple combination consisting of ibrutinib, venetoclax, and obinutuzumab also known as IVO or GIVE, produced undetectable, minimal residual disease in 86% of CLL patients after 15 cycles. Several other studies also showed promising efficacy and tolerability of this regimen in single-arm trials of unselected frontline or relapsed CLL cohorts. TP53 alterations are associated with inferior long-term outcomes and genomic instability in patients with CLL, and better treatments are needed. The current study reports the final results of the Phase two CLL2-GIVE trial, which tested a time-limited, response-adapted, triple-GIVE regimen in 41 previously untreated CLL patients with a TP53 mutation or deletion, with the goal of achieving deep and durable remissions. Induction consisted of six cycles of GIVE followed by six cycles of ibrutinib and venetoclax as consolidation. Ibrutinib was given until cycle 15 or up to cycle 36 in patients not achieving a complete response and having detectable minimal residual disease. The primary endpoint was the complete remission rate at cycle 15. Observation of the last patient concluded in January 2022 after a median of 38.4 months of observation the outcome data remain very encouraging. At final restaging at cycle 15, the overall response rate was 100%, and the complete response, complete response with incomplete count recovery rate was 59%. Moreover, the 36-month progression-free survival and the 36-month overall survival were 79.9% and 92.6%, respectively. The most common grade 3 adverse events were neutropenia and infections. 
occurring in 48.8% and 19.5% of patients, respectively. Grade 3 atrial fibrillation was observed in 2.4% of cases, and grade 3 hypertension in 4.9% of cases. Adverse events of any grade, as well as grade 3 or higher adverse events, were more common during the induction period and increased over time. Only six patients continued with ibrutinib maintenance therapy. Between cycle 27 and cycle 42, seven patients experienced progressive disease. The authors concluded that the CLL2-GIVE regimen is a promising first-line treatment for patients with high-risk CLL with deletion or mutation of TP53 with an acceptable safety profile. In an accompanying commentary, Marwan Kwok and Tatiana Stankovic from the University of Birmingham in Birmingham, United Kingdom, note that the findings of Huber and colleagues demonstrate continued robust clinical activity of the triplet combination of obinutuzumab, ibrutinib, and venetoclax in previously untreated patients with a TP53 deletion or mutation. Kwok and Stankovic further note that triplet combination therapies for CLL remain investigational rather than standard of care, and that future studies should assess the efficacy and toxicity of this regimen relative to single or dual-targeted agents, as well as whether such combinations are suitable for only a select group of young and fit patients. Even though the findings should be considered exploratory at this point, significantly inferior progression-free survival was found in patients harboring both a TP53 mutation and deletion, compared to those with a sole TP53 mutation. Kwok and Stankovic hypothesize that CLL patients harboring bi-allelic TP53 loss may be more genetically unstable and at a heightened risk of acquiring additional resistance mutations during treatment. This raises two important implications. First, being that maintenance therapy may be needed for patients with both a TP53 mutation and deletion. And second, if TP53 null clones are really associated with accelerated regrowth kinetics, then remissions deeper than 10 to the negative fourth MRD may be needed to achieve durable responses. In conclusion, Kwok and Stankovic are optimistic that the GIVE regimen may be the first effective therapeutic triplet for TP53 aberrant CLL, and that other triplet combinations may soon follow suit. Next up, we'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled DLBCL-Associated Notch 2 Mutations Escape Ubiquitin-Dependent Degradation and Promote Chemoresistance by Nan Zhou from the Perelman School of Medicine of the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia and colleagues. Diffuse Large B-Cell Lymphoma, or DLBCL, the most common subtype of non-Hodgkin lymphoma, is characterized by genetic heterogeneity and proliferation of mature B-cells. DLBCL is divided into two major subtypes based on gene expression, the activated B-cell-like and the germinal center B-cell-like lymphomas. For the past two decades, the standard of care for DLBCL patients has been a combination of rituximab, cyclophosphamide, doxorubicin, vincristine, and prednisone also known as RCHOP. Unfortunately, the efficacy of RCHOP is limited, and up to 40% of DLBCL patients have refractory disease or relapse after treatment. 
the mechanisms of chemoresistance in DLBCL are not fully understood, but it is believed that they can vary and depend either on genetic mutations or changes to the tumor microenvironment. KLH6 is a Cullen ring ubiquitin type 3 ligase and a central player in the ubiquitin proteasome system. Type 3 ligases, including KLH6, attach the ubiquitin chain to the target protein, thereby marking it for subsequent degradation. KLHL6 mutations have been described in many cancers, including in 7 to 15% of DLBCL patients. Most often, these genetic variants are loss of function mutations, which is in line with a previous finding that loss of KLH6 enzyme activity results in enhanced NF-kappa B signaling through a molecular circuit involving Roquin 2, a protein that promotes RNA decay. Notch 2 codes for a ligand-activated cell surface receptor that is constitutively activated by mutation in more than 20% of all DLBCL cases. To date, no specific association has been made between KLHL6 and Notch 2 mutations in DLBCL, aside from the fact that they impact similar oncogenic pathways. In the current study, the authors performed a series of genetic and biochemical assays that led to the identification of KLH6 as a key molecule associated with CHOP resistance in DLBCL. Using a Cullen ring ligase-based CRISPR-Cas9 library, they first determined that inactivation of KLHL6 promotes the development of doxorubicin resistance in DLBCL cell lines. Following that, they assessed the role of KLHL6 in DLBCL chemosensitivity in vivo using OCI-LY10-Cas9 KLHL6- and KLHL6++ cells xenografted in NSG mice before treatment with CHOP. These experiments revealed that mice bearing KLHL6- tumors relapsed earlier and had poorer overall survival compared to mice bearing KLHL6++ tumors. Together, these findings identify KLHL6 as a surprising gene regulating CHOP sensitivity in DLBCL cells and suggest that an uncharacterized target of KLHL6 may be involved in this phenotype. To identify the critical target of KLHL6, the authors performed an unbiased proteomic screen based on biotin proximity ligation using cells expressing TurboID KLHL6. This screen identified five proteins of interest, NCOR1, HDAC3, NOTCH2, ALMS1, and TAB1. Additional proteomic assays identified KLHL6 as a novel master regulator of plasma membrane-associated NOTCH2. Namely, KLHL6 ubiquitinates NOTCH2, leading to its degradation and termination of signaling. Predictably, inactivating mutations in KLHL6 resulted in the lack of NOTCH2 ubiquitination and prolonged signaling. Interestingly, the authors were also able to demonstrate that DLBCL-associated NOTCH2 mutants evade KLHL6-mediated ubiquitination which promotes resistance to CHOP 
upregulates the expression of genes controlled by the RAS pathway and drives RBPJ binding to genes of the BCR pathway. These results suggest that mutations in either KLHL6 or NOTCH2 in DLBCL have the same outcome, namely constitutive activation of NOTCH2 signaling. In their final set of experiments, the authors utilized Neurogasistat, a gamma-secretase inhibitor that inhibits NOTCH2 signaling activity. They hypothesized that combinatorial inhibition of NOTCH with inhibitors of the RAS cascade, such as the AKT inhibitor ipatacertib, could promote a stronger anti-tumor effect. Indeed, experiments in mice revealed that combinatorial inhibition of NOTCH and AKT using neurogasistat and ipatacertib produces a synergistic anti-tumor effect in CHOP-resistant DLBCL. The authors concluded that their findings established the rationale for therapeutic strategies aimed at targeting the oncogenic pathway activated in KLH-L6 or NOTCH2-mutated DLBCL. In an accompanying commentary, Silvia Diallo from the University of Torino in Italy notes that the study by Joe and collaborators makes a connection between the presence of KLH-L6 mutations, resistance to RCHOP, and poor overall survival in DLBCL. These latest findings provide the rationale for overcoming resistance using the gamma-secretase inhibitor neurogasistat, which inhibits NOTCH2 and the RAS pathway. However, Dialio also emphasizes that neurogasistat still needs to be studied in other models, including patient-derived xenografts, before clinical implementation. Nevertheless, this early data in DLBCL, as well as the earlier findings in patients with desmoid tumors, seem promising. Other questions that remain open include defining the exact role of the NOTCH2 pathway in DLBCL. While the findings from the current study demonstrate that RCHOP-resistant NOTCH2-mutated cells have an overactivation of the AKT-ERK pathway, potentially complex genetic effects of this mutation need to be thoroughly studied. Identifying the specific molecular intermediates will be essential in achieving the goal of tailoring therapy to the causative molecular lesion in DLBCL patients resistant to chemotherapy. In the final part of today's podcast, we will review an article in Blood entitled Antibody-Mediated Pathogenesis of Chronic GVHD Through DBY-HLA-Class II Complexes and Induction of a GVL Effect by Kento Umino from the Jichi Medical University in Shimotsuke, Japan, and colleagues. Chronic graft-versus-host disease is the leading cause of morbidity and mortality after allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. Studies to date have demonstrated that donor T and B-cell immune dysregulation and aberrant macrophage activation are key factors in the pathogenesis of chronic GVHD after hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. However, the target cells, or antigens, have not been identified. In addition, no mouse model has adequately replicated all the clinical and pathological features of chronic GVHD in humans. Among the risk factors for CGVHD, allo-HCT in male recipients from female donors has been widely associated with B-cell dysregulation, 
characterized by the emergence of alloantibodies directed against Y-chromosome-encoded epitopes, termed HY antigens. HY antigens, which mainly consist of DBY, EF1AY, RPS4Y, UTY, and ZFY, are a group of minor histocompatibility antigens encoded on the male-specific region of the Y-chromosome. Previous studies have shown that the detection of plasma IgG antibodies against HY antigens at three months after female-to-male HCT is a powerful predictor of the occurrence of CGVHD. However, the presence of anti-HY antibodies is also significantly associated with the maintenance of disease remission, indicating that HY antibodies could play an important role in both CGVHD and the graft-versus-leukemia, GVL, effect. In the current study, the authors aimed to identify specific HLA class II alleles that contribute to susceptibility to chronic GVHD after transplantation and investigate whether the HY antigens transported to the cell surface by HLA class II alleles are targeted by alloantibodies in patients with chronic GVHD. They first analyzed the data of 768 patients in the female-to-male cohort of Japanese hematopoietic stem cell transplant recipients to determine whether HLA class II alleles influenced the development of chronic GVHD. Following this, they performed a series of experiments on patient plasma, skin biopsies, and leukemia cells to better understand the effectors of humoral alloimmunity in chronic GVHD. They found that specific HLA class II alleles influenced the risk for the development of chronic GVHD in males receiving an HCT from females, namely HLA-DRB1-1502 conferred the highest risk, while HLA-DRB1-901 appeared protective. Interestingly, patients harboring these alleles were not at an increased risk of developing acute GVHD which points to an independent pathophysiology in acute GVHD. Additional experiments revealed that the risk of developing chronic GVHD was associated with the ability of HLA-DRB1-1502 to form complexes with HY antigens, particularly the DBY antigen. The expression of these complexes was particularly notable in the dermal vascular endothelium of chronic GVHD-involved skin, where it induced complement-dependent cytotoxicity. In addition, these complexes were observed in some male leukemic cells. Moreover, the authors found that the presence of alloantibodies against DBY-HLA class II complexes was a significant predictor of chronic GVHD the cumulative incidence of chronic GVHD in patients who were positive for the antibodies was 68.8%, compared to 31.7% in negative patients. Taken together, these findings suggest that vascular endothelial cells facilitate alloantibody-mediated chronic GVHD and identify alloantibodies against DBY-HLA class II complexes as potential therapeutic targets for both chronic GVHD and graft-versus-leukemia effect. In an accompanying commentary, Noah Holtzman and Stephen Pavletic 
from the National Cancer Institute in Bethesda, Maryland. Note that the study by Umino and colleagues uncovers the intricate immune interactions that contribute to chronic GVHD after allogeneic hematopoietic cell transplantation. These findings have potential translational implications for risk stratification, predictive biomarkers, and therapeutic targeting. Although the association between HY antigens and specifically DBY and the development of chronic GVHD has been previously reported, this study describes the importance of specific HLA class II DBY complexes in antibody-mediated chronic GVHD. In addition, patients who had these complexes detected in their plasma three months after transplantation had more than double the risk of chronic GVHD at one year, suggesting that they can serve as predictive biomarkers of disease and targets for early intervention or prevention. Moreover, the detection of DBY-HLA-DR complexes in dermal vascular endothelium in this study with myofibroblast activation and fibrosis provides a potentially targetable risk factor for fibrotic disease. Better defining the organ distribution of these complexes in future studies would be of interest in understanding whether this represents a systemically targetable mechanism or an organ-specific finding. Additional questions to be addressed in future studies include whether HLA class II mismatching can be leveraged, especially given the increasing use of post-transplantation cyclophosphamide prophylaxis, whether specific HLA class II alleles can be monitored for early detection of chronic GVHD after sex mismatched transplantation, and if plasma antibody levels should be measured routinely post-HCT to detect disease onset and predict response to treatment. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.